Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 12th of February 2023, 11 o'clock service. Katie Loffman speaking in the series, Outsiders Come to God. Cornelius. During the days of the British Empire, Britain ruled countries like India. Lots of British people lived there and they had all the top jobs and they were sometimes a bit oppressive. They kept themselves apart and didn't mix with the locals as equals. Those ruling classes would never admitted it, but they were definitely outsiders in that country, although they probably thought it was the other way round. That's a bit like Cornelius. He was a senior officer in the Roman army of occupation. He would have been hated by the Jews because of the oppressive empire that he represented. So they would have avoided him for very valid political reasons. What have the Romans ever done for us after all? And they would have shunned him as well for being a Gentile. So how did it feel to be Cornelius, I wonder? The typical image of Romans is that they were proud and entitled, throwing their weight about and keeping the locals under control. They felt they had the right to be there because they defeated Israel and they were genuine, generally superior. Maybe this centurion was proud to be there too and proud of his service to the emperor. But some clues in our reading tell us that Cornelius was a bit different from some of the other soldiers around him. He was possibly more of an outsider than you might think. First of all, his name, Cornelius, about a hundred years earlier, a Roman general called Cornelius Sulla became famous for freeing 10,000 slaves. And many of them took his name or they named their children after him. Cornelius may have been descended from one of those freedmen. If he was, I wonder how conscious he was of his lower class roots. Did he feel like an outsider among the other Roman centurions? <clears throat> but in any case, his name is very much associated with the transition from slavery to freedom. Secondly, Acts takes the trouble to tell us that Cornelius was a centurion in the Italian regiment. Most of the other soldiers stationed at Caesarea were um, from Syria. So the Italian regiment was a bit different. And here, there's also an association with slavery. Some historians think that many of the members of this Italian regiment had previously been slaves, but they had been given their freedom to enable them to join the army. Again, not only a reason to feel like an outsider, but another symbol of the transition from slavery to freedom. And finally, Cornelius was clearly a practicing Jew. He didn't pray to the pagan Roman gods and goddesses or worship the emperor as people were required to do. He'd gone native and worshiped God. He prayed at the appointed times and was keen to learn more about his faith. Of course, as a Gentile, he wasn't allowed to make sacrifices in the temple but Acts tells us more than once that he was very generous in giving to the poor. And it suggests that that generosity 
made up for the fact that he couldn't do the sacrifices. They were treated as his offering. But following the Jewish religion must have made him an outsider among his peers. And it could even have been dangerous for him not to toe the emperor's party line. But that didn't mean that he found his niche among the Jews either. Being a Roman would have definitely made him an outsider to the other Jews, regardless of his faith. So although at first glance, a Roman centurion might look like a secure part of the ruling class, very much on the inside, in fact, this one had a number of reasons to feel a little bit on the outside. And perhaps that's what made him open-minded. It was while he was praying that he saw an angel who instructed him to send for Peter. And when Peter arrived a few days later, they both had a most extraordinary experience. Peter told him and his family about Jesus. And even before he'd finished speaking, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, just like the disciples on the day of Pentecost. And this was amazing because Cornelius wasn't even Jewish. He was a Gentile. To Peter and the disciples with him, this was a very visible sign that Christianity went beyond Judaism. It was more than just a Jewish sect. It showed everyone, everybody who was there, that Jesus didn't just come for the Jews, but Jesus came for everyone. No one is outside his love. No one is excluded from his grace. They saw the wonderful truth that there are no outsiders with Jesus. Meanwhile, what was happening with Peter? Well, while all this was happening, Peter was staying with a tanner called Simon. Tanners work with animal skins to make leather. So this means that they're in contact with dead animals. So under Old Testament law, it means that they are unclean. So Simon, and Simon the Tanner would have been treated as an outsider. But for Peter, Christian love for a fellow human being trumped that, and he was happy to stay at his house. So it's significant that Peter had a vision about unclean food while he's staying in the house of an unclean man. So by doing that, Peter was already putting Christian unity above the divisions of the law. So this probably made him more open to the vision that he had. But it sounds as if the tanner's wife was still keeping a good kosher kitchen. So when Peter, in his vision, was invited to eat all sorts of non-kosher meat, he refused. Surely not. I've never eaten anything that's unclean, he said. And it took three goes for Peter to get the message. The message that nothing that God has created or made clean could be unclean. And Jesus had already paved the way for this with the Pharisees. They were very careful not to eat anything that might make them unclean. But Jesus tells them it's the hypocrisy that comes out of their mouth that makes them unclean, not any food that might go in it. And it gives the reason in Acts. Acts chapter 11, verse 15 says, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And that's the point. Jesus' death has redeemed everything in the whole world and made it pure and clean. At the moment, things are still messed up by evil, 
But often it's possible to see the good in something, especially if we look with the eyes of faith. And when we dwell on that and we point it out, we demonstrate the redeemed nature of that part of the world. And we're giving a living foretaste of God's kingdom, a kingdom where everything will be not just clean but holy. So our job here is to notice the holy that's already in things, whether that's an object or an event or a situation or a person. We can focus on the good side and amplify it as much as we can. Once I worked in a small office where the people were very bitchy. When we were together, we bitched about the boss. And if one person wasn't there, we bitched about her. I was scared to leave the room for fear of what they'd say about me the minute I shut the door. One day, I decided to say something different. We were talking about one of our colleagues and saying the usual nasty things. And I plucked up my courage and I said something nice about her. And I couldn't believe the response. Someone agreed with me. And then someone else chipped in with another compliment. And everyone actually had something nice to say about this colleague. And I was amazed how my one little comment had changed the situation. So we can look out for these opportunities to bring a little bit of light into a conversation or a relationship, to inject a bit of the redemption that Jesus brought to the whole world. Going back to Peter, there was a traditional Jewish belief at that time that when the Messiah comes, all food will be okay to eat. Nothing will be unclean. So when Peter saw this vision, it carried a distinct message. It was confirmation that Jesus was in fact the Messiah that the Jews had been waiting for. And what was the job of the Messiah? to rescue the Jews and to bring salvation, freedom from slavery to evil. So in this event in Acts, Peter has a vision that confirmed that Jesus came to free the Jews from spiritual slavery. And it takes him to a Gentile whose name and job title have echoes of freedom from slavery. But what's the significance of this freedom to eat any food? For the Jews, eating the right food and obedience to all the other laws was a sign of their identity, a way of life that demonstrated separateness, from separateness from the cultures around them, a separateness that showed that they were set apart for God, chosen by him, his, his special people. But now, the Jews who believed in Jesus were coming to realise that the law was no longer the source of their identity. Their true identity was in Jesus. And that freed them from the constraints of the law. In fact, any Jews who tried to make Gentile converts conform to the law were trying to drag them back into slavery. Because it's not slavish obedience to the law that makes us holy. The Pharisees show us that. It's being in Jesus. Only Jesus can free us from the slavery of evil and bring us into the freedom of his grace and forgiveness. So this vision held an important lesson for Peter and his ministry and for the whole church 
and one that's relevant to us today. Our identity is in Jesus, and there are no divisions between us. We have no reason to treat anyone as an outsider. Peter was challenged to put this into practice straight away. Cornelius' messengers were at the door, inviting him to come and talk to their master, a Roman and a Gentile, unclean, his house, his meals, his fellowship, all taboo under the Old Testament law. But with his vision fresh in his mind, Peter knew it was the right thing to go. And there he had another shock. Lots of people had turned up to meet Peter, not just Cornelius' family, and they were desperate to hear more about Jesus. And as Peter spoke, they believed in him, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. What? Could a non-Jew become a Christian? Surely not. The Messiah was for Israel, and salvation was for the Jews, wasn't it? But here was real confirmation that that belief had to go. And this was a hot topic in the early church. Some thought that Gentiles who became Christians had to take on all the constraints of the law, getting circumcised and following the food laws. And there were very senior leaders on both sides of the debate. This vision of Peter's is a decisive word from God that forces Peter to recognise that there must be no such barriers stopping people from coming to God. And the same goes for us. We have no right to require people to meet certain criteria you know, on condition of being a Christian. It's true that there are things that experience tells us help people to grow in their faith, like coming to church and having a daily private quiet time with God, and of course behaving in a loving way. But they're the results of faith. They're not prerequisites. No one can say, he can't be a Christian unless he does X, Y, Z. When Peter was asked to eat unclean animals in the vision, his response is, surely not. Are there things that we might be asked to do as a Christian where we say, surely not? When I was growing up, there was a strong belief that gay relationships were wrong and there was a deep suspicion of anyone who was gay who said they were a Christian. The thinking was, how could they be a Christian if they're gay? And as I grew older, I found this position more and more harsh and difficult to accept. And then a member of our family came out as gay. She had a new girlfriend who was introduced to us and became part of the family. Surely not. I was thrown into a dilemma. I wanted to stay close to this relationship, but I didn't see how we could invite her and her girlfriend to our house and eat with them and have them sitting at our table as a, as a couple. It just felt really wrong, and that was tearing me apart. I talked about it with Stuart Downey, who was our previous vicar, and he showed me that love was more important I should not allow my feelings about her relationship to get in the way of my love for her and for her, and for her girlfriend, who is lovely, actually. Like Peter, I had to get rid of an idea that I held dear for the sake of something more important, for the sake of love and inclusivity and the freedom to be one family together.
Peter puts it succinctly in Acts 10, verse 28. You are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Our relationships with everyone need to be based on the inclusivity of love, knowing that each one of us is made by God, loved by God, and redeemed by God, redeemed by Jesus' death. Some people choose to keep themselves apart from God, making God the outsider. It's so much better to be like Cornelius and open your heart to God and let him in and learn more and receive the Holy Spirit in your heart as they did on that day. No one is ever an outsider with God. No matter how different you feel or not or how much you feel you don't quite fit in, know this, you are at the centre of God's love. The question is how you respond. <laughs>